Okay, we welcome you to another episode of Learning Stories. This is a show where we profile a diverse set of learners from the 21st century. In each episode of this show, we have a guest who has a unique story to share about um, how they acquired a set of skills and knowledge in a creative and innovative manner. In the process, we hope to uncover a new definition of learning as conceptualized, imagined, and narrated by the guest on our show. In today's show or today's episode, uh, I have another friend, uh, a close friend, Jada Ferrucci, who I've known closely for the last uh, year and a half, if I'm right. Jada, yeah. Yes. So um, we work together on uh, a couple of projects. And just to give you a little background about her work up to now, Jada is a PhD student in media studies at Western University. Um, she has a BA in Economic Development and International Cooperation from the University of Florence in Italy. She also has an MA uh, in International Relations from, from Aarhus University in Denmark. Her doctoral research focuses on social movements and environmental activism and how they translate into policy. Her research interests include environmental communication, media activism, social movements, and access to information on environmental justice matters with a particular focus on the Latin American region. Currently, she is working as a, as a research assistant for the project Surviving Memory in Postwar El Salvador. Uh, this is a collaborative research initiative to document the Salvadorian civil war, um, which went on from 1980 to 1992. So that's a little background about Jada. But uh, me and Jada worked on the El Salvador Surviving Memory Project together. And it was a wonderful experience. And we're, uh, we're close friends because of that professional collaboration. But uh, I was always curious about your journey, Jada, in terms of how you uh, took all these decisions in your life, but also got to where you are now. Because you have moved uh, several times, uh, not only across countries, but also across continents for the work you do. But um, Jada, I'm curious about where all of this started, you know, and what was, uh, what was Jada like growing up as a child and uh, in Florence and Italy. So maybe we could get started there if, if that's okay. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, thank you so much for the introduction, Avi. And it's nice to be here talking with a friend, but also, you know, just sharing uh, maybe some details that I haven't uh, yet had the chance to uh, talk about with you. So I was born and grew up in Florence and I've uh, known uh, the same people all my life. The mentality of it there is not as open-minded as one would think. So I've always been pretty curious. That's a way I would uh, describe myself ever since I was in uh, primary school probably and always yearning for something, uh, something different, something um, that I had not experienced yet. And uh, that's why I felt like as long as I would stay in Florence, I would never grow up, or at least I would never start a life of my own. So growing up, I was, um, you know, a little timid, pretty studious, and uh, I had a great passion for documentaries. So actually, I think um, that's one of the things that shaped me the most, like uh, research and presenting information in a way that is uh, compelling and appealing. I used to dream to, and I wanted to become a documentarist, and uh, I haven't been able to do that yet, but mm -hmm. I think uh, certain skills that I've uh, 
I learned to master throughout the years of my professional experience and my education, maybe one day will lead me there. So while uh, most of kids were, you know, really into cartoons and stuff, and so was I, but I also had uh, this uh, incredible interest for documentaries and history. Yeah. And I think that that really shaped a lot of my hobbies and interests growing up through middle school, high school, and when I had to choose which program I wanted to enroll for my bachelor degree, I had to compromise. Sadly, we all know, even though it's absolutely unfair that humanities and even social sciences sometimes are not as valued as the STEM. So despite my desire of studying history, I tried to compromise and I found that I also like geography a lot. And the program that I enrolled in, in international uh, cooperation and economic development, um, I thought it was a sensible option, you know, a compromise between my real passion and something that could lead to a career. Hmm. And um, it was a good experience, but it didn't leave me too much in terms of um, growing or skills. Education in Italy at the university level is a lot is based a lot on memorization, mm -hmm. which I think is good in many ways because I do find myself having a good memory even now when I talk to people or when I read an article. But I felt like I need to experience something new. And um, I moved abroad. I went to Denmark to complete my master. And uh, it took me one year, one year gap where I was working like seasonal jobs between my bachelor degree and my master. And um, it was probably one of the worst periods of my life to be without a direction, to be without a purpose. And uh, if I think back, I'm honestly so surprised because it was uh, five years and a half ago, yet it feels like a lifetime. Sometimes it feels like yesterday, but uh, I'm so glad I went to Denmark because uh, even though the, it wasn't always, you know, roses and rainbows, it allowed me to grow a lot. It allowed me to improve my English. I finally was able to leave my home with the support of my parents, to whom I'm uh, extremely grateful. But for me, it was a starting step for to become uh, my own person, my, an independent thinker and professional, and finally become who I am today which I'm sure is going to change throughout the years but so far I think uh, I owe a lot to the experience of um, going abroad studying in a different country same continent still slightly different from uh, my uh, home country and uh, that led to many other experiences because yeah. um, while I was in Denmark actually I completed an internship as part of my program in El Salvador and that was like a, the life-changing experience, something completely random, I would say. I find that randomness sometimes has been a defining element of my life. And uh, chaos is such a, an important element as well. And I think uh, we often are raised with the idea that we need to be always in control. Mm -hmm. And we always need to make plans. And we always need to uh, prepare contingency plans as well. But pretty much follow a straight line but I found myself completely surprised because I grew up learning um, with some limitations English and French I didn't know Spanish but when I decided to do this internship I had to learn Spanish in a few months before mo moving to El Salvador over there I met my current supervisor I started to know this project that I'm involved uh, with and that Abby has been involved with as well and that led me to come to Western because my supervisor um 
and it uh, was teaching and is still teaching at this university. So whenever people ask me, how come you go here in Canada? I would describe it as a very convoluted trip, a trip that uh, started in Italy, went to Denmark, had a bit of a period, a period of time in El Salvador and eventually led me to Canada. So almost like a reverse end shape, one would say. And um, so that's, you know, in not so many few words, something to say about uh, uh, what I think shaped my childhood and uh, moved uh, and evolved along the way in my years growing up as an adolescent and then a young woman. And I still think of myself as a young woman, even though I'm uh, almost 30, but uh, I think there's so much still for me out there that uh, I'm actually starting to feel a bit restless, you know? I need to go somewhere else. I need to challenge myself again. After three years in the same country, I think, uh, soon it's going to be time for me to explore somewhere else <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that that it's so it's so amazing how you summarize such a your whole life in like a, a couple of minutes right Jada? but i think there's there's so much more to break down in that uh, narrative in terms of your passion for documentary filmmaking for instance that's something i i thought you'd be interested in it but i didn't know it was like uh, something you were actually very curious about growing up, but were there any films you saw um, as a young girl growing up in Florence that you were particularly um, inspired by? Also, uh, was Florence in some way um, a setting that inspired your uh, thinking because it's a very culturally rich environment in terms of the museums and uh, all the other uh, art galleries or I mean, just the spaces you have in that city, it's, it's very historically, it's an important art space in the world um, and uh, an important tourist destination too. So just a little bit about some of those documentary films and maybe something about how Florence influenced you growing up. Absolutely, yeah. So um, uh, there's a, a father and son, their father and son, a scientist in Italy that uh, have been um, broadcasting documentaries since the well the 70s with the father and then the son is continuing and the father as well and uh, the son is a um, paleontologist and they used to have you know weekly programs and they covered a variety of um, historical facts and uh, science science discoveries i've always been partial to historical documentaries for the reason that i've said but it was also interesting you know to find out more about the universe or how the human body works. And so they've had throughout the decades, uh, different uh, programs. One was called um, uh, Ulysses, uh, I would say the pleasure of discovery. Yeah, that's how I translate it. And uh, I know it's gonna sound very entitled, but when I was a young child, I read the Odyssey, comics version, obviously like a, with a bit of prose, but, uh, and I've always felt such a kinship to Ulysses, uh, even though I'm not nearly as brave, but, <laughs> the way it was so smart, I wouldn't say even clever, but smart, like someone that in an unexpected solution always find an uh, expected situation, sorry, always comes up with a creative solution, the way it was brave, daring, curious. Uh, I've always liked that and always wished I could emulate it and become one uh, myself. Um, but um, yeah, that, those programs, I think they were so interesting because uh, the way they were framing uh, important uh, questions about a particular historical uh, historical figure or uh, uh, 
scientific uh, discovery made it approachable mm -hmm. and um, just educated people in a way that I think a book sometimes can't just because it feels like a different effort you know you'd rather spend one hour watching a documentary about uh, uh, Pluto and then maybe reading a, a chapter from a textbook even though probably they convey the same information the format is completely different and so it was a way of teaching that I found very interesting mm. And uh, in that period of time also, uh, it wasn't a documentary film, but another film that shaped me. And now I know it's gonna sound silly because it's not like um, this profound movie, but uh, it was uh, uh, The Mummy. And I really wanted to become an Egyptologist as well among my dreams, mm -hmm. but uh, my deep fear of snakes and mummies and curses prevented me from following that dream. So maybe in another lifetime, but... Uh, Again, like uh, it was the historical element that always fascinated me so much. And as you rightfully said, growing up in Florence meant that I was uh, surrounded by art and architecture all my life. That's how I often describe uh, living in Florence, like breathing art, culture and architecture everywhere you go. And I'm deeply, deeply grateful to have been uh, raised in a city that uh, it's so beautiful and uh, we have a common joke over there about water, actually, because uh, there was a period of time, actually a pretty long one, several centuries, I would say, between uh, the late decades of Middle Ages and the early Renaissance. And you know, the Renaissance was born in Florence. And the joke was that there was something special in the water in Florence because so many intellectuals, so many geniuses, one would say, uh, came from Florence and uh, it was, amazing such a thriving period of uh, time for arts and engineering and architecture and uh, sculpture and I really like the fact that back in the days there were no labels there were no restrictions so if I think back of some of the main uh, figures like uh, uh, Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci they were everything they were engineers they were sculptors they were painters, they were inventors, they had so many different skills and no boundaries. And um, it was great and almost unthinkable today. At the same time, I'm also aware, you know, growing up and becoming exposed to many more countries and cultures that have had a very Eurocentric uh, perspective. So while I still think that you know, Florence is the best and the Renaissance is like, greatest moment in history and we've had a lot of uh, geniuses I am trying to uh, disengage myself with a mentality where everything that comes from my place is better by default or and is the best and uh, sometimes that is a bit hard to handle like uh, when I have to admit that maybe something that we discovered turned out that we didn't discover maybe in Florence or invented it in Italy it was maybe something that we uh, stole from other countries and uh, it's, uh, again, the Eurocentric side of my personality that uh, has to fight with that um, because it's like, uh, oh, no, I, I just cannot imagine it because everything that I, I was raised with this idea that a lot of great things came from uh, my place and to imagine that uh, ownership wasn't uh, really treated carefully. It's um, something we have to consider, but could be hard to engage with uh, sometimes yeah yeah and it, it's really interesting that you acknowledge uh, that as well right Jada? it's just this process of learning and unlearning 
where we come from. And one thing I always um, admired and appreciated about you, Jada, is you're so um, accepting and curious about uh, the people around you. And uh, that comes across in your personality and demeanor. But um, you also have a passion for languages. And I know you, you speak Italian, French, Spanish, English, and uh, is there another language you speak apart from these four, Jana? A little bit of Danish, but usually I don't say it because I think uh, in order to speak a language, I would need to be, you know, able to have a conversations and uh, express my thoughts, maybe in a not so sophisticated way. And sadly, I started with Danish, but I stayed there only 10 months because the coursework for my master program was only 10 months. And the English level over there is amazing. Mm. You could easily uh, live all your life in the, yeah, even live in Denmark all your life without learning the language. But then again, you, you really don't want that. You want to integrate yourself in, in the society, hopefully. And uh, yeah, and you know, the fact that you know so many languages, I remember a conversation we had where you told me that you also worked as a, as a, tour, as a tour guide support person in Florence uh, during one of the summers where you got to meet people coming in from different parts of the world. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just curious about this uh, passion for languages and how that's opened up uh, your thinking. Because I feel like every time you know another language, you get access to another culture in terms of understanding a different way of thinking. And I think the fact that you know like four different or five different languages gives you the opportunity to um, understand conversations in these different cultures. And I think it helps also build your perspective as a researcher in the current perspective, because uh, a lot of your research is in a country where Spanish is the primary language of communication. And um, I know Italian is your first language. So I'm curious, is that uh, in terms of languages, what is the language you dream and think in, or like dream and think in? And what is the language you enjoy reading and communicating and so just your thoughts and languages for now yeah no those are all great questions and i am um, so grateful that i had the opportunity of uh, learning different languages and uh, i think you're right they do open up perspectives where you're thinking they're completely different while the languages that i've learned are pretty much from the same uh, group the indo-european then again some are Germanic, some are uh, um, Romance languages. So I think it's really important because um, it can only strengthen, you know, your knowledge if and your brain muscles, one would say, if you try and practice learning a new language, there's work purposes, but there's also tourists or even culture. I know that across the world, many people want to learn Italian. And that's definitely not for... Uh, uh, you know, like uh, the utility in the sense of uh, how many people speak this language or is it so important? It's more like the culture, you know, they want to approach uh, uh, food, music and art in a way that helps them relate to it. And if I could, I would want to learn all the languages in the world. But uh, sadly, I, I, I can't. But it's been an interesting experience because um, I think most of my compatriots would agree with me the way we teach foreign languages in Italy is not always the most effective. Oftentimes you rely so much on translation that I think it still influences my thinking process, my dreaming process. So I'm not fully conscious, but I still 
I'm pretty sure I still think and dream in Italian with the occasional moment in English, maybe, but um, I'm definitely not there yet. And uh, so growing up, even though I started learning uh, uh, English in primary school, it was it was what it was basically it wasn't um, anything too articulated or really useful. I started learning French in middle school because back then it was the second foreign language that was the most popular. Nowadays, I would say more students are picking up either Spanish or Chinese, but back then uh, oh, we're talking about uh, 14 years ago, probably more, wow. Yeah, 15 or 16. Anyway, and uh, so I started learning French. Again, same experience. The professors I've had some were amazing, some were not as much. So I had to pick up a lot of the work on my own, doing external exams in order to uh, foster uh, the understanding of that language. I moved to Denmark, and uh, even though I wasn't required to because my classes were in English, again, for the reasons you were saying as well, I felt like I wanted to try and learn the local language. and. Um, it was amazing how good I had become in uh, speaking the language and how terrible I was in understanding it, at least uh, in uh, you know, the oral communication, like I would be in the train and not understand a single word. But then when I was in class with other people learning Danish, I could carry a decent conversation. So it was um, really not uh, usual. And I think the reason why my experience in Denmark hasn't always been the best, even though I think it's a great country and I really liked it in many ways. The fact that I didn't speak the local language, I think, um, prevented me from enjoying a lot of uh, different cultural aspects. And uh, maybe if I'd stayed a little longer, I think it would have been uh, better. But uh, with the anchor of English, it was so easy to rely on that and not maybe make uh, an effort. I did. Mm -hmm. But again... And then Spanish came into my life pretty randomly because I never learned the Spanish in my school years. And I was 23 when I started. No, actually, I was 24. And uh, I could be presumptuous enough to think, okay, I'll study this language by myself for three, four months. And then I'll move to a Spanish-speaking country and be able to work and survive, as you said. And um, I did. And even to this day, I still get a lot of compliments for my Spanish and especially for my learning process. And I would like to say, oh, yes, I am that <laughs> intelligent. I am that smart. But truth to be told, is uh, they're different. And it's not like easy, but it's definitely easier to learn that language from uh, my uh, linguistic background. So I always tell to my many, many uh, Latin American friends, if you put yourself in the same situation, but reverse languages, trying to learn Italian from a Spanish background, you do it too. And mm. uh, I think it's important to stress that because, again, depending on the context I am uh, in, sometimes I'm surrounded by people who speak one language, sometimes by people who speak two, but sometimes I have people that speak five or six and because maybe some are regional dialects of their own country, they're not seen as um, lucrative, as yeah. uh, uh, important, or even the effort they made in order to learn the language is a little downplayed. Mm. And that I think is also part of my trying to break down that Eurocentric supremacy I was telling you about, because Europeans, 
they love to brag about the fact that they speak often three, four languages that are very different from each other. And I think it's a great achievement. But then you shouldn't look down to someone from a different country in the world who has the knowledge of the same number of languages. And just because they're in the same country doesn't mean that those dialects or languages would be similar. And I know from your experience, when you talk to me about your um, native language from the part of India you're from, and then you have Hindi. Just because they're in the same country doesn't mean that, you know, it's so easy that uh, you shouldn't reward people. Yeah. And um, yeah, I even wrote an article recently for the New Canadian Media about it, uh, about bilingualism in Canada. And with so many newcomers who have to learn English in the first place, asking them for a, a bilingualism in French it could be tricky because most often newcomers are already bilingual, multilingual, what mm -hmm. but there's different degrees, you know, where English and French are the top of the ladder. And if you're not bilingual in those, you know, then uh, you always slide uh, further down. So I think it's uh, another layer of complexity that uh, we approach when learning languages, when deciding which languages uh, we want to learn and, uh, I wish things were different. I wish there was a more uh, equality or at least um, working towards that goal. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, those are those are great observations, Jada, because I think about my experience as well. And I think we've discussed this before. A lot of people from South Asia um, often speak a couple of different languages. In India, for instance, you have your state language, a national language and English. And then you also speak the languages around your state because there's a lot of internal movement within India from one state to another. For instance, my parents moved from the southern part of India to the, to the western part and the languages spoken there are very different. And my dad can speak like six or seven languages all around like India. And he went to the Middle East um, as a young person too. So he speaks Arabic as well, which I think is slightly different from the South Asian languages. So. It's just interesting. And he never really discusses his proclivity to pick up languages. He just said that he had friends around him that spoke the language and he felt like it was nice to pick up. And that's why he picked it up. So I think it's very interesting how that movement can um, develop this process. And I, I really like how, Jada, like your understanding of learning, because one of the big themes of this particular interview is this idea of learning, right? And for me, I always think you you always veer towards a, a method of learning that is both engaging, but also very relatable to you. For instance, your passion for uh, those documentary films early on in terms of how they presented information in such a beautiful, engaging way. But then also how you decided to think about learning languages in different contexts. You know, there was a real, real world application to learning a new language because you saw the result in terms of immediate communication. But um, also books, you know, and I know like books are a great way to live a life that you have not lived until now, you know, because you get to experience another person's perspective. And even travel, for instance, like you've moved from Florence, which is again, like a tourist hub of the world, but you decided to move to Denmark for your Masters of Arts. And uh, once you were done with that, you moved to El Salvador for an internship and then jumped uh, to Weston in London, Ontario. So I'm, I'm curious about the support of your family and you know the background of uh, 
like some of your family members in terms of how they were able to encourage you and also sometimes they say you know your parents profession sometimes becomes the profession you take up or it becomes the profession you never want to do right so i'm i'm thinking about parental support in terms of choosing the career path you eventually chose but also about um what moving from one place to another did to you as an individual and uh, what were some of the things you learned along the way yes i think um first of all yes without my parents support i wouldn't have gone uh, very far i mm-hmm. did work a little bit during my ba but uh, it would have supported me very little during my time in denmark uh, also because it was uh, i mean it is one of the most expensive uh, countries in europe but couldn't work there because of the language barrier so I'm always so grateful. My parents have really supported me. And I think I can speak on behalf of uh, most people who are the youngest son or daughter in their families when I say that we have more opportunities than our older siblings. And um, honestly, some, every once in a while, I catch myself thinking, wow, if I'd been uh, the oldest, probably I wouldn't have been given as many opportunities because uh, by the time I was uh, ready to move out, all my sisters were in independent they lived by themselves and so my parents could support me a little bit more than they would have been able to do with them mm-hmm. so you know i think it's something that uh, i really need to consider and appreciate and uh, so when i was in denmark yes again they really helped me a lot then uh, when, ever since i moved to el salvador luckily i'd been able to rely on my own finances in canada as well but uh, it's amazing how parents, you know, they're so generous in a way that uh, doesn't ask for reciprocity. They ask so little of you and sometimes we cannot even give it to them because mm-hmm. they're always busier. We are living a fast paced life. We don't have the patience. And uh, I have the moments where I'm like, oh my God, and I really need to thank them properly or more often. And then, you know, life gets in the way. So. I think it's really important to acknowledge that for those of us who are lucky enough to have parents that uh, can support them, even sometimes uh, just, um, you know, uh, emotionally, not always uh, materially, but it's been an interesting experience because um, Italian families are known to be very, uh, you know, tight-knitted and especially mothers have this reputation of being uh, really attached to their children and have a hard time letting them go which I think is pretty common. And especially now that I'm in Canada, whenever I'm in an international group of friends and people share you know, stories about their country, about relations, food, language, I feel like they're all pretty much the same. So I might hear something about you know, mothers in India being so protective and so like involved in your life. And I'm like, I think to different degrees, I see that pretty much. Uh, everywhere so <laughs> i had uh, to actually step up for myself because my mom at the tender age of 24 didn't want me to go to el salvador she was almost about to forbid me because it's a very dangerous country and every time we uh, i bring up the topic she's i'm like if i'd listened to you my life would have been very different and i don't think it would have been better so i appreciate your wisdom but I try to follow more my uh, father's attitude uh, in the sense of uh, if something bad has to happen, it will happen anywhere and at any time. And <laughs> same goes for good things. So I'm a little more laid back in that sense. But uh, 
it's interesting because uh, my parents are both uh, really uh, smart in the sense they have so many talents. Like um, they have very strong manual intelligence, both of them, which I sadly lack. <laughs> and uh, they're really, you know, skillful people, but they're not exactly maybe uh, too into cultural activities, whatever that means. So I think it was interesting growing up because I had several friends telling me, oh, I didn't expect your family to be the way you, they are because you are so much into reading books and uh, you've always been that way. So somehow they expected me from, to come from, um, you know, maybe white collar kind of family with my parents being highly educated, but my father didn't finish high school. My mother couldn't either. And back then it was also a bit of a gender issue where pretty much my grandfather preferred for my uncle to get an education. So it, it's not like centuries ago, but it's still, you know, up to a few decades ago, there was a, a kind of attitude. So I could feel, especially with my mother, her desire to be more in school because uh, she was good. She would have been, uh, she would probably gone to places. Her dream was actually to become, you know, flight attendant because she always loved traveling. So it's just, you know, sometimes sad to think about it. I might be able to live my dreams, but they really weren't. Uh, and they have other things that I don't in my life, obviously. But uh, I think to know where you come from and then uh, not be anchored and tied uh, in a way that is constricting by it, it's uh, good. I know that the sacrifices of my parents are invaluable. And so were the sacrifices of my grandparents. And uh, probably... Mine will not go anywhere because of the current situation is just uh, different. Mm -hmm. When I told um, to my sister, we always say that, you know, our grandparents created, our parents maintained, and we'll probably, you know, squander what was, uh, what is left because of, uh, you know, not a callous attitude, but simple because it's not as easy to build things now in, in, in many ways. And uh, I think it's uh, the typical millennial experience and it will be the same for future generations, which it doesn't have to be all negative and there could be good things about it, but it's definitely incredible how the lifestyle of our grandparents or parents is, is so different from ours. And again, sure. we're talking on the span of a few decades. Yeah, yeah. And you know, like that, it's amazing how as uh, as children we're so um, observant, you know, and just in terms of picking up things in terms of our parents' personalities and attitudes, because they are the first adults we see growing up, right? And they become our model of who we think people in a particular gender should be like, because we are exposed to them so much growing up. And, you know, we pick up the good, we pick up the bad, but at the end of the day, we know that they love us. And we also realize that they're human in their own sense, right? You know, they try their best, but they can also make mistakes because when you're younger, you think sometimes, at least I thought they were perfect. And then very soon that bubble burst. But I always knew that they came from a place of love. And in that sense, I know there may be difference as you grow up, you know, things change in terms of what you appreciate, uh, what you used to appreciate growing up and what you probably are engaging in now but but I know that you can always turn to them in terms of that support but what about that change for you Jada in terms of moving to Denmark in Canada was it very different from from Florence and you know how did you handle that sort of 
So I change. I, I think I think you're you're quite good at it. Just you know, in terms, I feel like if I put you in another country, you know, you'll you'll pick up a book, learn the language, and then you know, um, find a way to assimilate into that culture. But I'm just curious, what is your process to get to like adjust to a new country? Uh, I would say a little bit of research and documentation first of all, just to get a sense of uh, when I get there, what to expect and what to do. Sure. I that's even the way I travel for like vacation or uh, else I, I I like to know my things so that I can be efficient with my th- my time so yeah. definitely even though it's amazingly two years apart when I moved to Denmark and then when I moved to Canada but I was such a different person because uh, obviously Denmark was the first uh, obstacle to face I was uh, younger was the first time and uh, Again, the local language was in English. And so even though everybody spoke it pretty well, it's just not the same, even when trying to communicate and engage with people. So yeah. it was uh, tough at first. I didn't know anybody. And uh, I actually, when I moved there by myself, uh, I was looking for a place to stay because I wasn't able to find one from uh, home in Italy. And I had serious difficulties. And... Uh, I shouldn't be afraid of admitting it because I think it's normal, but actually my parents came to rescue me basically because uh, uh, they were gonna go for a trip to Croatia and they have a camper yeah. and that's how they travel. And I asked them um, to come to Denmark and help me out uh, finding a, a place and wow. even moving uh, furniture because uh, over there it's really rare to rent the furnished places. So I already knew that if I was lucky enough to find uh, a place it would have been unfurnished and uh, very difficult weeks uh, where I would go and see many places but there was so much competition that uh, you know um, I was always told oh you know we picked someone else as a roommate and uh, <laughs> I used to think what if I cannot start my master simply because I don't have a place to stay that would be yeah. absolutely crazy and uh, probably now with the uh, we different kind of wisdom I would have been more savvy on where to look but I knew it was a difficult uh, difficulty shared by many several yeah. of my classmates actually they started a master still in hostels or airbnbs while looking for places the situation was that bad but my parents you know they came instead of driving to Croatia they drove up north and it's um, wow. it's a 15-hour drive which you know for Canadians it's nothing, but for Europeans, you know, it meant to cross three, four countries. And luckily they had a camper, so it wasn't as bad, but they just came. And uh, my mom asked me, you know, why didn't you ask us in the first place? We'd have been happy to, you know, drive. We could have taken a vacation out of it, uh, help you, support you. And I told her I was too proud. I wanted so hard. To do it on your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it turned out that I, I couldn't. I couldn't, at least not completely. So, mm. and they never made me feel guilty. They never, except, you know, the few jokes here and there. Like, I remember I found some goggles in the camper. I was like, oh, why did you bring goggles? And they were like, <laughs> well, we're supposed to go to Croatia, you know, to <laughs> go swimming and stuff. And instead, uh, I mean, you can in Denmark in the summer, the, the sea is actually beautiful, but it's really cold. So just for the brains. And yeah. um when I went to Canada, it was a very different experience. I was able to find a place from Florence to so I land and it was perfectly fine. The visa process went pretty smoothly. So that was also, you know, 
uh, a good uh, thing. I already knew some people here in Canada, in London, in the university that I am uh, uh, enrolled in as mm -hmm. PhD candidate. And um, again, speaking the local language helped a lot. Yeah. And uh, so some of the difficulties I would say is the fact that it's not as diverse as I thought it would be, at least my program. Yeah. So um, even making friends, it took me such a long time. In that way, I was actually able to make friends more quickly in Denmark because it was way more people from outside the country. So mm. more eager to establish bonds, to have a, a network of support. So sure. again, two years later, the experience was so much, uh, so much more, you know, smooth. Like, yeah, some difficulties, obviously. I don't want to be one of those people that romanticize living abroad, like, oh, it's the best experience. And once you do, and then you come back home for a vacation, you're always, you know, like, oh, I don't know why everybody doesn't do it. Do it. And uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because... Yeah, I, I completely relate to that experience of moving to London, Ontario, because it was very different for me too. And uh, making friends was a struggle at the start. And then um, I, I was in Mumbai before I moved there and it was just a very different city, just in terms of the number of people that, and I think that's interesting, right? Like sometimes the, the most important things in our lives actually come out as a matter of luck or coincidence. You know, it's not something we plan for like off the top of our head. So it, that's pretty amazing to think about how the role of luck and chance in our lives. Chad, can be, I know I want to be respectful of time. Is it okay if we go on for five more minutes? Of course, yes, it would be a pleasure. I, wonderful, I don't want to take too much time, but you know, I'm just thinking about how you decided to jump into academia in terms of because you know a lot of your interviews and I read your bio everyone knows about your academic background you know you are a well-established uh, PhD student and you are in a project that has um, you know um, a lot of influence but it's also something that is so important um, I'm just curious about uh, what were the things that led you to make this decision about getting into academia after your MA? Um, and uh, what has that experience been like for you? Because a lot of students that watch this show, they would uh, be thinking about their uh, educational and professional paths. And we've not had anyone that has decided to pursue um, a more advanced uh, study of, of a particular field uh, that you have pursued for because I'm just looking at your research interests and you say it's environmental communication, media activism, social movements, and access to information on environmental justice matters, but a particular focus on the Latin American region. So that's very specific and focused. So how did this interest for academia come about? And uh, yeah, sorry, I went on for a bit there. But No, not at all. I mean, you are basically able to draw a path for me to follow, to talk about my uh, thinking process even behind the decision of uh, joining academia, which again, <clears throat> was much of a project of uh, opportunities. I personally think that uh, luck can only get you so far, but it's opportunities and the timing that they're really of a great importance. So even when someone says, uh, oh, you know, I got this maybe job position because I was lucky or whatever. And then, you know, maybe you, get, you got it because you were lucky, but you kept it because you were good at it. Uh, so when I met uh, my supervisor in uh, uh, El Salvador, 
I was, you know, halfway through my master, I would have written my thesis, but masters in Europe tend to be a lot more uh, professional than academic uh, based as the one in Canada. And despite the fact I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure of what I, would have, of what I would have done after my master was completed. And I was so afraid of going back to my uh, previous stage, the one in between uh, my BA and my MA where, yes, I was working, but it was again like um, temporary part-time jobs. They were not meaningful. They were not stimulating. So meeting my supervisor has been um, a game changer. There's no other way of describing it. She was uh, able to steer me in the right direction. I never thought about doing a PhD. Frankly, I wasn't even sure what a PhD was actually. And uh, she described the program and the kind of work I would have been able to do. And uh, she has been so kind and supportive and um, engaged with me ever since. Uh, and we're talking about four years ago by now. And so I always say that my experience with academia is very different from uh, other people where they uh, actively pursued um, uh, academia. They wrote many applications to very different universities for me i was always meant to work with her mm -hmm. and uh, the very first months actually of academia in uh, my phd i remember feeling out of place like uh, i'm not like the others i didn't dream of this for a long time i didn't apply to many places i i don't belong and some people kind of wanted to remind me of that, that, uh, you know, like maybe I got into this particular program because I knew a professor. And then when I talked to my supervisor, she was like, a lot of people do that. A lot of people get recruited by professors during conferences or when they're doing field work and that's how they begin a journey. So there's nothing to be ashamed of. And this is why I think even though, again, timing and opportunity was essential, I know that my supervisors met a lot of students in the years, even when she was in El Salvador. And yet I was, you know, able to follow up with that uh, uh, path, this academic path. And it's not because I'm um, better or luckier. I think um, some things just moved along the way. And I realized that I actually enjoy um, academia. And uh, it's, again, a very different process which is why I want to stress the fact that there is no right way of uh, you know picking a profession or following a dream uh, life has uh, its own way of uh, unfolding and I think uh, it's important obviously to follow some ideas especially if you are very driven and determined towards one goal but there's so much out there and you you know if you're open-minded and uh, just flexible with opportunities great things might come uh, along the way and uh, because, again, I like to think of um, my experience abroad, especially in El Salvador, as the game changer because it was uh, my research interest, which I've always focused on uh, uh, environmental affairs. That's definitely been always um, a key area of, of focus of uh, climate change, communication and education as well. They went uh, along the way of my uh, internship first and then the work that I've been doing in this project in El Salvador so it's incredible because among my many passions I would say fine arts are probably the first and as I was telling you I really love history as well and uh, I like learning languages so if I could I would you know join a different program every few years and uh, it's uh, 
it's interesting where choices led me. And uh, so I think uh, there's always time to cultivate your own interest. But um, when it comes to academia, don't see it as a fence that, you know, you put around yourself where everything uh, that belongs to your research is of supreme importance and nothing else can, uh, you know, infiltrate or uh, mutate it. Because I think uh, we can find a lot of connections with different um, aspects. So my work, yes, it's in environmental um, justice and activism. Knowing many languages does help. And on the side, I can still pursue my interest and be pretty satisfied and well-rounded, or at least I try. So I want to really stress all these things I've been saying so far for you know young students. People are thinking of uh, you know what's gonna be my learning uh, uh, story, my education path. There are so many that it's pretty much impossible uh to count them but definitely never think that you'll be done with learning like uh, i think it's a given now we've all accepted the fact that it's a really never-ending process and uh, along the way you might uh, discover a sudden interest for something that you never considered in your life and uh that's actually great especially when you think back and you're like my gosh i've changed so much i'm uh you know uh, different mm-hmm. altogether and that's a you know, beautiful sensation. Yeah, yeah. And that's a great positive note to come to an end uh, of this interview. I think um, one thing that I really enjoy about these interviews, Jad, is I get to learn a lot from the people I chat with. And I think something I'm taking away from this interview is that it's always important to keep learning and to be open to change, uh, but also to be curious and to understand different situations and the opportunities and challenges they give you. They're just a way for you to grow and become a new person. And uh, your journey shows us uh, um, one path. And again, I think it's really inspiring for people that want to get into academia to know that, you know, it doesn't have to be so structured and fixed. You can find your own sort of niche uh, in academia that's uniquely yours. And I think you have, I mean, it's obviously going to change in the future. And I hope you know, you get there and that passion for documentary filmmaking and languages is also integrated into everything you do. But thank you for sharing your story. And uh, we really appreciate the time you've taken to do this. And uh, for the listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Learning Stories. Uh, Stay tuned for more such interviews and uh, for more such wonderful stories. Um, Yeah, and keep learning.